and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and some of the other platforms we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. And this is me, Warren Landis, <laughs> the one and only, uh, teaching you the Bible and preaching the gospel here on Sunshine USA. Uh, today, we're going to begin our study of the final chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here, by the way. Um, part of me thinks that we might very well do this whole chapter in a single broadcast, but maybe not. <laughs> it's hard to say. First of all, I want to start by reviewing uh, what we have talked about in previous broadcasts. And in previous broadcasts, we talked about the fact that Paul was on a ship as a prisoner that was destined to take him to Rome so that his case could be heard before Caesar. That was the plan. And normally, when a prisoner began a voyage on one of these ships, it was a very typical voyage without drama, without any fanfare, not a lot of attention. But that was not the case with Paul. I was thinking just this morning when I got up and I started thinking about this message, I said, you know, nothing about Paul was ordinary. Nothing about Paul was typical. <laughs> Everything was extraordinary. Uh, Paul had lots of drama everywhere he went. He, he didn't necessarily seek all that drama, but it found him. Amen. And so... Uh, Paul has a voyage to Rome that's anything but normal. Now, you know, one of the things we pointed out in the previous broadcast, had he not appealed his case to Caesar, he would be a free man right now. Because we know that Festus and Augustus, uh, they found no fault with uh, Paul. Uh, they found no fault with Paul at all. And so had he not appealed his case to Rome, he would now be a free man. And that's one of the ironies that we find uh, in this situation. But he had appealed his case because he was a Roman citizen, and he felt that as a Roman citizen, he had a right to appeal his case all the way to Rome. Now, it was actually uh, Agrippa and Festus that agreed that Paul had done nothing wrong. I think I said Augustus a while ago as Agrippa. But um, we find that um, Paul appealed his case, so he was on this ship as a prisoner bound for Rome. And they're not on the ship all that long before they run into stormy weather. Now, I indicated, I think, on the last broadcast, I think this voyage took place probably in September or October of this particular year that Paul was in. Uh, it was really at the threshold of a time when typically ships would winter in. In other words, most ships tried to stay off the Mediterranean Sea during the winter months uh, 
because the weather during the winter months was too severe and too unpredictable. And a lot of times it would result in the loss of life and in the loss of cargo. And in many cases, including the case that Paul is in right now, a loss of the ship. In fact, Paul at one point says, you know what, you guys need to stop right here and you need to winter in. Because it's going to be much too dangerous for us to continue sailing beyond this point. Because beyond this point, you keep on sailing, there's going to be significant damage. There's going to be significant loss of both cargo and lives. Not to mention the ship will probably be a total loss. But they don't listen to Paul, they listen to the owner of the ship. The owner of the ship says you've got a destination, that destination is Rome, and that's where you need to go. Plus, the city where they were in at the time really didn't have facilities that were considered good enough for wintering in. So they decided to sail on, and then they run into a storm. They run into a storm. And um, we find that when they run into this storm, which was called a Euryclinon, uh, this uh, shows that Paul had some basic knowledge of meteorology in addition to a knowledge of sailing. Bearing in mind, sailing was something that Paul had done a lot of in his ministry. So he knew a thing or two about sailing. And apparently he knew a thing or two about meteorology as well. These uh, storms, which like I say, were called Euroclidons, they would be uh, probably almost, but not quite, like a nor'easter today. Heavy winds, high surf, rough seas, they were not easy to navigate. And a lot of times they destroyed any ship that dared sail anywhere near it. And that's why Paul said, you know, you guys need to winter in now. Because there's going to be great loss of life and and great damage if you don't. But like I say, the crew, they didn't listen to Paul. They listened to the owner of the ship. So they decided to sail on. Well, sure enough, they run into this storm, and the storm basically shipwrecks the ship. Now, we find that the soldiers had a mind to kill all the prisoners, thinking the prisoners might take advantage of this opportunity to escape. But the centurion said, no, don't do that, because the centurion had already become pretty fond of Paul. And had the Roman soldiers decided to kill all the prisoners, that would have included Paul. And the centurion liked Paul well enough to where he didn't want to see Paul killed. So the centurion says, nope, you're not going to do that. And of course, Paul, to his credit, saw to it that neither he nor the prisoners made any attempt of any kind to escape. They all stayed where they belonged. And they end up crash landing on this island that we come to at the beginning of chapter 28. This would be the landing on Melita. 
It says here in verse 1, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the persistent rain and because of the cold. So it was raining, it was cold. And once again, this would be indicative of the fact that this was the beginning of the fall and winter season. And these people who knew nothing about Paul and they knew nothing about the rest of the crew, they light a fire, they get that fire going, and they're able to try to warm everybody up because it was cold. And you can imagine the only clothes they had was the clothes on their back and they were wet. So all the more reason they needed a good fire to get them dried out. Paul felt these people had great hospitality, especially being so hospitable to a group of people they knew nothing about. And then something very interesting happens to Paul. It says in verse 3, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened onto his hands. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer. And though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. That's in verse 4. So, a venomous serpent bites Paul. Now that indicates this was a poisonous snake, and a bite from this snake normally would have been associated with death. So the thinking of the people was, this probably meant Paul was not just a prisoner, but he was indeed and in fact a murderer. Otherwise, this wouldn't have happened to him. But something else miraculous happens here. It says, And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but they had looked a great while and saw that no harm came to him. Then they changed their minds. Now they said he was a god. <laughs> now, we come to the question of miracles, and we're about to read about another miracle in a minute. But we come to the question of miracles along with signs and wonders. Uh, we read about this, really, in both the Old and New Testaments. And, uh, you know, even in the days of Paul, he was able to do miraculous things. And so the question is, why did God allow Paul to miraculously handle the serpent the way that he did? Well, it was intended by God to give Paul credibility so that the people would see that not only was Paul innocent as far as anything criminal was concerned, he was indeed and in fact a man of God, otherwise he would be dead right now. And then we go on to read uh, 
starting in the very next verse, verse number 7, it says, In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of his island, whose name was Publius, who received us, received us, and lodged us three days courteously. That's in verse 7. Now once again, I draw your attention to the pronouns being used here by Luke. Luke, as you know, is the writer of the book of Acts, just like he was the writer of the gospel that bears his name. And by using the pronoun here, us, this indicates Luke is still with Paul. He was with Paul on the ship. He was with Paul here on the island. Now, you know, if uh, Luke had been, like many of the other friends of Paul, he would have fled and traveled as far away from Paul as he could get. He wouldn't want to be associated with Paul, but not Luke. Luke was a man that was faithful and true to Paul, even in these difficult times of his life. So a man on the island has a relative that needs healing. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a body flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also which had diseases and the island came, and they were healed. Who also honored us with many honors. And when uh, we departed, they laden us with such things as were necessary. So these people, when they saw that Paul had the gift of healing, they came to him for healing of their own families and of themselves personally. And like Lou said, they honored us with many honors. Uh, it indicates that financially and materially, these people were very good to Paul. They took care of him and the people with him, which would have included Luke. And uh, once again, though, God allowed Paul to do these things because it gave him credibility among people that did not know him. They knew nothing about him. And really, they knew nothing about the God that he served. And so this gave Paul credibility, and it gave him a degree of authority, spiritually speaking. You know, I've, I've said this before, but it's a good illustration. I mean, if you uh, request the services of a repairman to come to your home, whether it be a plumber or electrician or whatever, you want to see their credentials. You want to see that they're actually qualified and authorized to do the work for you that they have come there to do. And, in this case, the miracles and signs and wonders it allowed Paul to indicate that he was indeed and in fact a man of God. He was who he claimed to be. 
So that becomes a very important thing. And then, um, we find that they get on another ship for seven days and so went toward Rome. Verse 16, And when Paul came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. So we could see that Paul had favor even in this very trying situation. Most of the other prisoners were turned over to the captain of the guard in Rome and they went on to their prison cells. But it appears that Paul was granted leniency and he did not go with the other prisoners. Paul was allowed to stay with the soldier that he was with and apparently he had a reasonable degree of liberty. And we find as we read the rest of chapter 28, we find that Paul took advantage of the liberties that he had. Many people came to Paul. Paul was able to minister to them. He was able to teach them. If they needed healing, he was able to heal them. And apparently he did this over a period of time. Now, I point out something very important here, and that is many Bible scholars believe that there might have been two Roman imprisonments and not just one. It's very hard to tell whether Paul was a prisoner in Rome only once or whether he was imprisoned there twice. Now bearing in mind, the case against Paul was not very strong. The, the case against Paul was in fact an incredibly weak case. <laughs> the evidence just really wasn't there. You know, that's why Agrippa had Paul sent on the run. Because as far as Agrippa was concerned, there was no evidence against Paul. There was no case against Paul. There was no reason for Paul to be incarcerated, let alone put to death. But Agrippa felt the need to convince the Jews that he was at least willing to please them, so he keeps Paul in custody probably for up to two years before he even sails to Rome. But now, had the court of Agrippa been the final hearing, Paul probably would have been set free. But instead he goes, because of his appeal to Rome, and apparently the Romans are not eager to do anything to Paul either. Because if a Jewish court could not see any need to punish Paul, a Roman court would have been even less likely. 
And so a decision is made to continue prosecuting Paul, so to speak, but in the meantime he had considerable leverage and considerable privilege. And it appears that this might be the two years in his life where he has an opportunity to travel as far west as Spain. Now we know from Paul's missionary journeys, Paul had a desire to go to Rome. And we also know that he had a desire to go to Spain. Now by appealing his case to Rome, Paul basically had free transportation to Rome even though he was going to Rome as a prisoner, but he had privileges that other prisoners didn't have. And that gave him the liberty to perhaps travel as far west as Spain, which was another item on Paul's bucket list. But in any event, Paul took advantage of whatever remaining time that he had to preach the gospel and to teach the Bible. Now, that is ultimately the desire that you and I should have as Christians, especially those of us that are older Christians. We've been a Christian for a while, and we're also getting on in years. Last month, I celebrated my 69th birthday. This time next year, I'll be 70 years old, going on 71. I'm not the young man that I used to be. I feel like my body becomes more and more limited every day. And I can't tell you how many more years I have on this earth to preach the gospel and teach the Bible. But I can assure you that I will take full advantage of any time that God gives me to teach his word and to preach his gospel. And doing it in whatever way possible. Now, being realistic, I don't see myself doing a lot more traveling going forward. Now, I was thinking the other day, I have gone many places as a result of my desire to serve the Lord. I've gone to places like Texas and Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana and Georgia and Florida and Tennessee but I hate to say it, I think my traveling days are over. But as God would have it, we have the miracle of the Internet. And because of the miracle of the Internet, I'm able to preach the gospel all over the world. Back when I was younger, I, I often tell about how the foreign missionary board as it was then known, it's now known as the International Missionary Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, they, they didn't think that I could go to a continent like Africa and preach the gospel because they said, Warren, you know, your health just isn't that great. We don't think it would be very wise for you to attempt to do such a thing. Well, of course, now I'm on the Internet in Africa preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible, which is exactly what I felt from the very beginning God wanted me to do. Except now I have this worldwide platform called the Internet 
in which to do the work that God has called me to do. Now, I want us to take a look at the last couple of verses in Acts chapter 28. There's a couple of very important things that I want us to see in these last couple of verses of Acts chapter 28. It says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So Paul... <laughs> at this final stage in his life, he becomes a home runner in the area around Rome. And apparently he's given great liberty, as I've already indicated, to reach a number of people with the gospel of Christ in Rome. Now another thing I want us to see in these last two verses is that it seems that there's not a formal ending to uh, the book of Acts. <laughs> it seems that there's not a formal ending to the book of Acts. I mean, um, you would expect, if Acts were a movie, you would expect it to display the words, the end, at the very end of the production. But that is not what we find here. We find here a book that does not seem to end. And you could say that, in a real sense, the book of Acts continues to this day. Because it is our joy and our responsibility to take this gospel of Jesus Christ and take it to a lost and dying world. And um, this, of course, becomes, like I say, both a great joy as well as a great privilege. That's why as long as we live on this earth, we have the absolute necessity of preaching the gospel to everybody. Taking advantage of any and every opportunity we have. And you know, really, the church has never had so many different options to, to present the gospel as it does today. We have not just the traditional means of preaching a sermon in the pulpit, but we have the internet, radio, television, and other mediums of communication that earlier churches did not have. I think about my own church pastor. Frequently from the time he got up, which was very early in the morning to late at night, he was knocking on doors, visiting people in the hospital, comforting families at the mortuary, visiting shut-ins at the nursing home. Like I say, he probably did this 12 or more hours every day of his life. 
He rarely took a vacation. And then I think if my home church pastor had access to the internet the way the church does today, think how much more he would have accomplished. Think how much more he would have accomplished. And so the Bible indicates those to whom much is given, much is required. Because the church of the day does have access to the internet and all the opportunities that it affords, then I think God expects more out of the church today than ever before. And what are we doing about it? What are we doing to tell other people about Jesus Christ? Uh, I, I think I mentioned on an earlier broadcast, I'm one of few pre preachers today that still talks about hell. Now, I have to admit, it's not my favorite topic, and there's a lot of things I would rather preach about other than hell, but I must preach at least some about hell because it's a real place and people are going there for real if they don't know Christ as their Savior. You show me a person who has no burning desire to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Christ, I'll show you a person that probably doesn't believe that hell is real. They believe that ultimately the love of God will win out and everybody goes to heaven regardless of whether or not they love God. Nothing could be further from the truth. So there are topics like hell that I have to talk about. Things like uh, judgment. I remember back in the days of the pandemic, a lot of people would ask me, uh, was COVID-19 a judgment of God? I think it could have been. I'm not saying definitively that it was, but it could have been. I mean, when God looks at our world today, God is very upset with what he sees. He sees a world today that is in sinful rebellion against him. And it breaks the very heart of God. And while God is suffering, long-suffering, and while God is patient, and while God is slow to anger and slow to exercise that anger, his anger is not very far away, in my opinion. The grace and forgiveness of God is not never-ending. There comes a time when you're going to say no to God one final time, and God's going to say, okay, that's it. I'm never going to try to convince you to follow me again. Everybody has a deadline. I don't know what my deadline is or your deadline is, but everybody has a deadline. And when that deadline is crossed, there's going to be a price that will be paid. Amen. And that's what motivates me every day of my life. Or at least I should say most days of my life to get in front of this microphone and preach the gospel and teach the Bible. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Um, there are some days when I just don't feel like it. And then there's times like this weekend I decided last Friday I recorded 
two broadcasts last Friday. I recorded two broadcasts last Friday. And I decided that over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I would take a break from broadcasting and just try to rest and unwind and recuperate, which I did. And here I am on a Monday morning back in front of this microphone preaching the gospel and teaching the Bible. Okay, now we come to the part where we get to kind of look back over some of the interesting things that we have studied here in the book of Acts. We have, for example, in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of what I call the dispensation of the church and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now you'll notice that uh, Jesus, when he was on earth, he said, the day is coming when I will go away, but I will send you a comforter called the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. I believe firmly that when a person gets saved, they receive the Holy Spirit. In fact, they receive all the Holy Spirit they're ever going to get. At that point, it's no longer a question of whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. It's a question of whether or not the Holy Spirit has you. Amen? Amen. And I think you're going to find that we cannot successfully as Christians live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit of God. The other thing is, of course, up to this point, the Jews basically had a monopoly on the message of God. And now, through apostles like Paul, God is making his message available to all people, including the Gentiles which basically takes in everybody apart from the Jews. And when we think about the life of Paul, we think about, of course, his dramatic conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus. Up until this point, Paul was a very religious man. He was not an atheist. It's very easy to say that Paul prior to Damascus was an atheist. Nothing could be further from the truth. He was actually a powerful, influential religious leader. And he was taking action against Christian Jews and having them thrown into prison and in some cases killed. But Paul is dramatically converted on the road to Damascus. And Jesus was asked a question by Paul, Who are you? And Jesus said, I am the Christ whom thou persecutest. Now that was news to Paul. He didn't think he was persecuting Christians. He thought of himself as being a warrior standing up for God. He actually thought he was doing God's work. And then we note that Paul went away to Arabia for a period of time of about three years. 
And I believe during this time, Paul spent a lot of time alone with Christ. And Christ teaching Paul the deeper things of God. So that he in turn could pass this on to other people. Now, you know, a lot of people don't realize that Paul went to Arabia for three years. And in fact, in the book of Acts, we basically find no reference to Paul going to Arabia for three years. You have to go to Paul's letter to the Galatians to find out that he went to Arabia for three years. Amen. Now, you know, it's kind of interesting. He spent about the same length of time in Arabia that most ministers today spend at the seminary. Even Christ knew that a call to preach is a call to prepare. That's why if you're a ministerial student listening to this broadcast, what you need to do is you need to take advantage of any and every educational opportunity you have. Get as much education as God gives you the funding for. Now, I will say this. I don't believe it honors God for you to go out and be twenty or $30,000 in debt getting an education. You spend only the money that God actually gives you for education. I would rather have a person loving God and serving God with a limited amount of education than to have a whole lot of education and not doing anything for God. I tell a lot of times about this man that I knew in the seminary. I went into his dorm room. He was one of the few students that had a private dorm room. And all over his wall, you could see all kinds of certificates and, and uh, awards that he had won, degrees that he had earned on his wall. Diplomas. It was very impressive. But this was now a seminary student in his 50s. So from his 20s to his 50s, here he is acquiring all that education. And then I asked him, I said, what are you doing with all this education? Truth of the matter is, this man was so busy acquiring additional degrees, he didn't really have time to do much for God. And I thought to myself, how sad. How sad is that? Once again, I would rather have just a little bit of education and actually do something with it than to have a whole lot of education and do almost nothing with it. Amen. Okay, now we come to the other mystery of Paul. And that is, how many imprisonments did he have in Rome? We don't know. It could have been one, it could have been two. There are some things about Paul we're not clear on because, frankly, the Bible doesn't tell us. Therefore, I don't really think it matters whether Paul was imprisoned once or twice in Rome. But the point is, God did, I mean, Paul did anything and everything he could that God wanted him to do and took advantage of every opportunity that God gave him. And I think you're going to find that is exactly what the Lord expects out of you and me. 
He wants us to do that which he gives us opportunity to do. Now that brings us to an end of Acts chapter 28, which is the end of Acts. In our very next broadcast, we're going to begin our study of the book of Romans. I think you're going to find that Romans is a book of a lot of deep things of God. Some Bible scholars have entitled the book of Romans, The Christian's Magna Carta. So I'm looking forward to taking the time to do a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Romans beginning on the next broadcast. Now in the meantime, if you have a Bible study question, or you have a prayer request or a praise report, then contact me by email. That's the best and fastest way to do it. I have two email addresses. One is warnlandis at yahoo.com, and the other one is warnlandis at gmail.com. I also have a snail mail address, which is warnlandis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510. Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And whichever way you contact me, I look forward to hearing from you. And that will bring us to the end of another broadcast. So this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. But don't fret none. Because you know what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.